You know, on New Year's Eve, I'm like everybody else. I love to go out and have a wild time welcoming in the new year. But uh, this year, no parties, no wild times, just a quiet evening wishing everyone a wonderful 2020. Hmm. Yeah, isn't it peaceful? I wish every night could be like this. No one is available to take your call. Please leave a message. That was Kermit the Frog wishing everyone a happy, if not lonely, New Year. Great conversation with Kermit coming up in just a minute. <laughs> no, that's not true. I'd love to interview Kermit, but I, I, the guy won't get back to me. The pretentious prick won't return my emails. Of course, I'm Adam Hurd, and this is my podcast, Blood, Sweat, and Tongs. Welcome to it. So, we did it. We made it through 2020. It is now 2021. When I was a kid, that seemed very, very sci-fi. I believe there was a ton of movies. I think Back to the Future was set in like 2016 or something like that. Um, Demolition Man was set a few years from now. And as I say this, I realize how fucking old I am. If I'm as old as I feel, I'm getting up there lately. The pandemic's taken a toll on my mind and my body, I guess. But it was quite a year. A year of mostly downs, not too many ups. Maybe one or two. A lot of fails, not too many wins. Maybe one or two. But now it's 2021. And, well, realistically, probably not much is going to change. But we can slap a stupid smile on our face and act like it's going to and believe that it will. If we can convince ourselves enough, maybe we can smile more. Because holy shit, do we need to smile more? I know everybody's got a mask on, but you can tell by their eyes that people aren't that happy. You know, the eyes are the window to the soul and all that. But just walking around the grocery store, grumpy people. Wow. Maybe they're not actually grumpy because I know I try to walk around. I I look at people and I smile and I do feel kind of like a bumbling idiot. Because I'm smiling under my mask. Oh, look, how you doing? Trying to give them this facial expression that they can't really see. And, you know, people aren't doing a lot of eye contact. I think it's weird right now. Because there's just the eyes. There's something kind of, I don't know, maybe extra personal about it. It's a little weird. Anyway, I smile because it makes me feel better knowing that at least I did something. At least I smiled. So how was your New Year's? What did you cook? What did you eat? Did you break the rules? Did you go to a party? Did you have a party? Did you have a couple people over? I don't know where you are, but where I am, all of that was a no-no. They said just your immediate family, the people that live in your house, that's who you're partying with this year. So it was us and the kids. And of course, our kids are older. Um, My son came back from university I'm not even sure if that's a no-no. I don't know if they're saying because he doesn't technically live in the household anymore, but our address is still on his driver's license, so there's a couple technicalities there. But to be honest, I wasn't going to not have my son come home for Christmas and New Year's. Even if that was against the rules, sorry, that's a rule. I'm going to break every single time, especially when we have politicians that are taking vacations all over the world, coming out on the news, that they're basically going wherever they want to go, which is usually the case. 
But our New Year's was good. It was really good. We actually, the kids said, can we cook sushi? Uh, and I got my son. He loves to cook and he loves knives. So I got him uh, a kiritsuki, kind of a, it's a Japanese chef's knife. And uh, more than anything, he wanted to cut raw fish because it's like one of those satisfying things, like those satisfying videos where they cut the meat and they cut the fish. If you get a nice chunk of ahi tuna, it just looks like this red brick of red pearl thing. And it slices so nice and it really is satisfying. So I get it. And his knife is razor sharp. So I don't know if sushi was the number one thing he wanted to eat, but he wanted to cut it, and my daughter loves it, and uh, she makes it quite often, him not so much. So they got a good lesson in sushi and about sushi-grade fish, which there's no real technical definition for. At least I've been unable to find a technical or legal definition, but I think basically it means that it's um, flash-frozen pretty much right after it's caught. And I used to think years ago that sushi had to be fresh, never frozen. But the reality is that the fish they use for uh, sushi and sashimi is frozen because the freezing temperatures down to minus 16, minus 18, whatever it is, is what will most likely kill the bacteria. So I love to teach the kids uh, about food and cooking, and this time they were really into it. So they learned a lot about the do's and don'ts of preparing raw fish. So I went to the uh, local fish market and got some tuna and salmon. And we all cooked together, which is, to me, it's the best thing in the world. It, it It's honestly, it's so healing. And I know it's a childhood thing because I think I've mentioned it before, but, you know, things weren't good at home when I was a kid often. And I'd go to my grandmother's house when everything was cool there. Everything was copacetic. It was always a safe place. And we cooked together. It wasn't really a choice. She was probably putting me to work. But it was. I went from a place that didn't feel safe to a place that felt abundantly safe. And what we did there mostly was cook. So that's probably why I take so much joy from cooking with my kids as a family. So that was amazing. So I'm drinking the wine, you know, making the sushi, and we did tempura, and I made the unagi sauce. I taught them how to make that. And, you know, when they were younger, I always kind of used them as little slaves because uh, I'd say, well, cleaning up is your first lesson in cooking. Everybody that's cooking, you have to clean up. So dad's going to cook. And you guys clean up. You do the dishes and you do the messy stuff. So basically, I was just pimping them out to do the work that I did not want to do. But now they're older and they figured it out. And they're kind of like, no, no, fuck you, dad. Um, We'll cook and you clean for a change. So I figured it's New Year's. That's fine. I taught them a few little things. I oversaw everything. And it like everything came out pretty well, perfectly. The rolls weren't that tight. I mean, that takes forever to master. But other than that, it was beautiful and it was delicious. So I was really proud of that. And then a little later on, after midnight, after the countdown, of course, everybody's still up. A little after 12, I had, I don't know, two or three gallons of wine. 
and uh, we decided to pull out the Nerf guns. <laughs> that's that's one of the insane things that we do now that the kids are older. Uh, actually, my oldest son, I believe it was last Christmas, bought us all bought us each a Nerf gun, uh, so that we could have a little family Nerf wars or uh, take out our aggression, or if we're pissed off at each other, we can, you know, fire a couple at whoever irritated us that particular day or moment. So we were uh, firing those around, and of course, you know, you're running around trying to be a, a ninja, trying to be Rambo and, you know, do these little rolls and all this stuff. That's probably the wine. <laughs> and yeah, I was doing that. Of course, the kids did that. But yeah, I had to get in there too with that kind of stuff. And uh, we we always try to be responsible with them because the Nerf guns now aren't like they were a few years ago. They go like 650,000 feet per second. I'm not sure if that's the technical specification, but you can look it up. So anyway, um, we always teach them, you know, low shots. Kind of like belly button and below is where you're aiming. We have to be careful with these things. No, we don't wear goggles. And now I'm an advocator of goggles with nerf guns i actually think it should be mandated that they sell a pair with every gun because i did a cool little round the corner duck thing and caught one right in the eye that's how i know they go 650,000 feet per second or thereabouts because it felt like my eye exploded not around the eye like if somebody punches you in the eye they get mostly the bone that protects your eyeball these little guys are about as big around as a dime. And it pelted me right in the corner of my eye. And I immediately dropped the gun, grabbed my eye, and ran into the bathroom, which is about six feet away. And uh, it took me a second because I was seeing flashes of black and lights and shit. And uh, I peeled my hand away from my eye. Because I thought, something's wrong. You just, it, you kind of knew it hurt. It hurt a lot, but the pain was dissipating pretty quick. It wasn't super, super painful. It was more like my brain and my body just clicked. And they told me, oh, something's wrong. Like in that, in a millisecond, immediately, boom, something's wrong. You've never seen flashes like this. And it literally felt like my eyeball exploded. I don't have experience with that. I mean, I don't know exactly what that would feel like. But at that moment, that's the closest thing my brain said, is your eyeball just exploded. So I'm looking in the mirror, and my hand's over my eye, and I'm actually afraid to take my hand away. So I slowly peel my hand away, and sure enough, my eyeball exploded. It wasn't there. It was gone. <laughs> no, it was there, and actually, it was pretty well fine. It had started immediately... Uh, to have a little bit of a black eye on the inside corner and it was red like bloodshot but not even super duper bloodshot it was a little bloodshot but I had this big black haze right in between my two eyes kind of around the front corner of the eye and that was freaky because I didn't know what was going on so <laughs> they all stopped and I'm I'm in the bathroom doing this, and they're at the door, 
And Jen's saying, are, are you okay? Do you need me? And I can hear my daughter saying, I'm sorry. It was an accident. I didn't mean to. <laughs> and I'm just like, shut up. Leave me alone. Leave me alone because I'm freaking out a little bit. So anyway, after a couple of minutes, I go out and I see them. And Jen, who's a naturopathic doctor, looks at my eye. She's not an eye specialist. She doesn't know that much about it. And uh, I tell her about the black spot is really disconcerting because it's weird. It's throwing my vision off and there's this black thing. And she said, okay, well, it could just be some swelling and it'll probably go away in a few hours or whatever. So uh, drank another gallon of wine and hit the sack. So I got up in the morning. The black thing's still there. So we did some research. Jen looked into it. And immediately she knew before she looked into it. She said, well, I hope it's not like a torn retina. So then I started reading. And you should never, you should never yourself go on and read about anything that's wrong with you. Because it's so bad. Everything's a symptom of everything bad. Nothing is ever a symptom of, don't worry. You never find, well, don't worry. Like you can say my toe is sore around the nail area. It's not like just clip your toenails and don't worry, everything will be fine. It's like, oh, fuck no. Man, you got to get to an emergency room right now. So, <laughs> so here the doctors are closed. Uh, you know, I'm getting a little freaked out because what it says is that I could have had a torn or possibly detached retina. So, and what's funny is I looked up Nerf gun injuries. The first article was a woman a year younger than me from last year whose daughter that was the same age as my daughter hit her right in the corner of her left eye and she was seeing gray spots or whatever. And she went to the emergency room. She had to be rushed to a specialist, ophthalmologist, I think is what the eye dude is. And um, they said it was lucky that that, uh, she caught it that quickly. Oh, there's my phone. Why is the volume not off on that? And it was lucky that she, she caught it that quickly because her retina was detached or detaching, I guess, and you can go blind very quickly from that. So I was getting a little freaked out. Went to the emergency room. They said, like, the, the gray area, the hazy area that I was seeing was actually going away by the time I got to the emergency room. So they assessed that, you know, it's likely just a bruise, but you better go see an ophthalmologist. Made an appointment for uh, Saturday and uh, went to the appointment. Of course, COVID, the doors are locked. There's nobody there. A few other people waiting. I was there. I waited 40 minutes, phoned, just an answering machine. Doctor never, uh, nobody ever came out for any of us. So I waited that long and then I bailed. I guess I'm going to call them uh, today which is Monday because otherwise it's on the weekend and they're just not going to answer. So I don't know if I'm going to be blind in one eye the next time I talk to you guys, but stay tuned and you'll find out. The story gets better, backing up a little bit. Um, I don't know if it was like 8 a.m. Like usually I get up early, 6.30 or so. Um, That's early for some people. But I don't know, around 8 a.m., I guess, my teenage son barrels into the bedroom, wakes me up because I didn't go to sleep until like two and says, where's the breaker for my room? Where's the breaker? And I'm just kind of like scratching the hangover away from my eye going, what? The breaker, where's the breaker? We got to find the breaker for my room. 
So, of course, I bolt out of bed, run downstairs to the electrical panel, realize it's very poorly marked, which is, I guess, my fault. Because, <laughs> you know, the whatever, the water heater is on there and the, the garage is on there, but the bedrooms aren't really marked. And this house is a mess electrically anyway. And I'm just really half hungover and half asleep. And I'm looking, I'm going, why am I down here? What am I looking? What What's going on? He said, I plugged in my phone and the wall outlet blew up. I said, like, sparked? He said, no, Dad, it blew up. The wall's burnt up and it smells burning and I'm afraid it's burning inside the wall. I was like, ah, shit. So I turned off the power to the whole house, trying to, like, in the big hazy, foggy mind... Remember, if it's okay to even do that, I'm like, is that going to reset? the? Is the furnace going to work? Is everything going to work? Um, and normally I know that shit, but, you know, at that particular moment, I wasn't really, like, in the zone. So I shut it all down. I went up to his room, and yeah, wow. I mean, this is an older house. I think our house was built in, 19, I want to say, 1949. So it's quite old, uh, and we actually had most of the electrical updated, and there's still a few plugs that they couldn't do for some reason. This was last year, and then they were going to come back, and then they didn't call me. I called them, and we went back and forth with timing. But, um, yeah, it it literally blew the cover off, and it's all charred, the little white plastic thing that goes around it. And the outlet itself, the plug, blew apart, like a quarter of it blew apart. Uh, and the wires were all charred and everything inside. So I don't know what he said. It was just his phone plug. Um, he didn't get hurt. And somehow, miraculously, his phone is fine. Oh, that's the other thing. It actually blew apart the end of the plug for his charger. So the metal part, those two metal prongs, one of those metal prongs, the end of it was exploded, was blown apart. So that is crazy. Now, uh, about a sixth of the outlets in our house aren't working. And it's really, really freaking me out. And it's bizarre because they're not all along the same wall. They're at a couple opposite corners of the house. There's about five plugs, five outlets that now aren't working. We've reset all the breakers and it's not working. So I have to call an electrician as well. So just after midnight, I get pegged in the eye with a trajectory. Uh, as soon as I wake up, actually before I wake up, technically, I'm jolted out of bed with an explosion in my house. I Obviously, I had to go and I thought, I hate dealing with electricity. You know, I'm not too bad with it, but I'm terrified of it. Terrified of electricity. So I went and the whole house was down and actually took the plug out and capped off the wires all safely inside the box and taped it all up. So hopefully it's safe. House hasn't burned down yet anyway. So later that afternoon, January 1, one of my kids, I'll keep them nameless to protect their identity, uh, had a very acute, severe relationship issue. So right on day one, of the new year of 2021, the year we've been waiting for for the past 10 months. And, uh, you know, some heartbreak, 
some crying and the stomach upset, the whole thing, really like a big deal. Um, I'm realizing this is sounding very whiny, but I'm just explaining to you my day, the first day of 2021. Jen was really hoping to get her COVID test back on the 31st or at least the 1st so she could go and visit her grandfather, which if you listen, you know the deal that he's 96 and he's in the home and he can only have one visitor at a time, but you have to have a cleared COVID test, yada, yada. Um, and surely enough, that test actually came back yesterday afternoon on the 3rd. So she got her test cleared on the 3rd, so she didn't get to see him for New Year's. So she was fairly upset about that because the same issue had happened on uh, Christmas. And how it works is every week she has to get a COVID test, but it takes four or five days to get the test. So she got her test on Sunday, and it actually expires on Tuesday. So it's really kind of ridiculous the way they have that worked, but whatever. I'm not going to get into that right now. So at this point, we're less than 24 hours in to the first day of the year, and I might be going blind. I had a trip to the emergency room. Uh, one of my kids is just sobbing and crying and doesn't want to talk and doesn't want to eat and feels sick. Jen's upset because she can't visit her grandfather. And a good chunk of the house is without electricity, which we don't need to survive. I'm actually more worried if it's going to cost me $300 or $3,000 because there's so many outlets. And I'm like, I, I don't know how that works. Are they going to say, oh, yeah, well, they could be broken apart inside the wall. You got to tear all your walls out so that we can access the wires. And then I'll be wishing it was $3,000 because it's going to be $23,000 or something. So before the new year on this podcast, I was telling people, you know, I, I know it's great to think 2021 is going to be better and we'll look forward to it and have this big party on December 31st. But please don't get your hopes up because expectations emotionally can actually be devastating. Even if you you know in the back of your mind that, well, it's, you know, I know everything's not going to be fixed on January 1st. But if it's kind of a coping mechanism to make yourself feel better, to think we're going to have this big party and things are going to be better and things are going to be better, and then they're not, that can actually be a little emotionally devastating. And nobody needs that right now. So I was kind of pleading with people on the podcast, have a good time, think positively, but don't get your expectations up too high about what's going to happen in the new year, because realistically, the pandemic's still on, we're on lockdown, virus is still here, you know, Donald Trump's still alive, whatever. So I didn't have my expectations that high, but I got to be honest, the, the first 24 hours that I had weren't great. It wasn't a great start. And Jen was pleading with me. Now, don't take this as a sign of what the rest of the year is going to be like. Because I used to do that when I was younger, my 20s or whatever. I, I kind of had this philosophy that whatever the first day of the first year is like is kind of setting the tone. It was kind of like the universe is telling you this is what the year is going to be like. Which... If everything's good on that day, well, that's great. That actually helps you for the rest of the year. 
right? Because now you're in this positive energy and you're kind of like, nothing can get me down. The universe told me on January 1st that this is going to be a fucking amazing year and I can do no wrong. Things are going to be great. So that's good. But when it's bad, it's the opposite, right? So you're walking around with a stick up your arse, grumbling how everything's crappy because the universe told you on January 1 that you're going to have a crappy year. And that's kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. That's the way that it's going to be. And I was young and, I don't know, naive, hopeful, whatever. But obviously, January 1, that's just how some of us in the world read the calendar. It's not even everybody's calendar, so it really doesn't mean anything. It's just a set of numbers that we set out. But because I had adapted that philosophy for so long in my life, you know, I got to be honest, it was kind of rolling around in there because I was getting a little negative going, okay, what's going on? That's a lot of stuff for the first 24 hours. Like, give me a break, relax. If you're going to give me a bunch of bad shit, and I'm talking to the universe, by the way, if you're going to give me a bunch of bad shit, can you, can you spread it out over like four days or something? Can you just not make it all in the very first day when I have a hangover? Anyway, onward and upward, I'm going to call the electrician, whatever it is, it is. I'm going to call the eye doctor and whatever it is, it is. There's not much I can do about any of it now. So might as well be positive. I've got some good stuff coming up, actually. Um, This week, I'm talking to Chef Massimo Capra. That's exciting. He's a pretty renowned chef around here. He's been on all kinds of stuff. He's been a regular on the the Morning Show, a uh, bunch of stuff on the Food Network, Chopped Canada, Top Chef, Restaurant Makeover, all that kind of stuff. So I'm excited to talk to him. I love to do these interviews. I get a little nervous with them sometimes um, because, you know, the insecurities roll around like they do with everybody else with everything. Worried that I'm going to put my foot in my mouth, you know, or, you know, sometimes I feel like my foot's always in my mouth, maybe put my other foot in my mouth or whatever. Whatever it is that people that have a uh, chronic foot in the mouth do when they do things that are worse than normal. (laughs) But I'm always afraid of that. Uh, I'm going to be talking to, I think it's next month though, uh, Mary Berg from Mary's Kitchen Crush. Looking forward to that. I'm talking to George, uh, Chef George Mandakis, uh, Chef Metal Jewelry. He hand makes the uh, the really cool metal bracelets for the Herd Initiative. Uh, we have more people booked. I'm not sure Jen would probably know. I think she's she's got my schedule all banged out. I don't uh, I don't keep all that stuff in my head, but a lot of cool stuff coming up. Also, when I'm saying on here, sometimes I'm saying that I'm talking to Chef Massimo Capra this week. Um, that is likely going to be out and published within one to four weeks because there's you know editing and processing time and then sometimes some people want them put out at a specific time to promote a book um like i've already talked to um lauren toyota of hot for food she's got a cookbook coming out i think it's march 16th you can pre-order it now Uh, a little plug for her but I'm putting that one out a little closer to March, closer to her book launch. Also, I've already talked to uh, Chef Andrew Zimmern. That was cool. 
president and CEO of uh, Gusto Television, Chris Knight. I've spoken with him. That one's coming out soon. My good friend, Chef Rob Rainford. <laughs> you want to hear that one. That guy's a hoot. He's a, a lot of fun. He's a great chef, but he probably should be a comedian as well. A lot of fun that guy is. Oh, Spencer Watts, too. Um, I haven't spoken to him yet, but I'm supposed to be talking to him this week or next week. Anyway, that's enough self-promotion, but you know the deal. Every Wednesday, I do an interview, and every Monday is one of these where I just talk about whatever shit rolls off my tongue. I am wondering right now um, what things are like for people in the food industry. You know, I've got lots of friends that are in that industry, and uh, I know ownership-wise things are tough because there's no dine-in happening, and they put us into this lockdown. It's like an actual lockdown right now. Takeout delivery only. Delivery sucks because most of those apps that will actually get the food out eat up most of the profits, so that really sucks. I don't think most people are aware of that, but those uh, those bigger ones especially. Now, I, I've heard of a few smaller local ones. I don't know how they make their money. I haven't looked into it, but some of my friends have commented that they're better and they can still get the food out and make a bit of money. But I mean a bit of money right now. I think a lot of people are cooking at home, which I've always been an advocator of, and I think a lot more people should cook at home and should know how to cook. And, you know, personally, that's what I want, but not necessarily like this. Not for all these good, hardworking restaurants and food businesses to tank or to work their ass off for nothing to just keep going. And most of them have lost a big chunk of their staff. Uh, Seemingly, chain businesses are okay. It looks like people are really gearing to to the whole drive-through thing, which most local small businesses don't have, because I noticed drive-throughs are busy. Uh, I drove by a Starbucks today that had 13 cars. I never see cars in Starbucks, maybe two or three cars, probably because a lot of people think like I do. It's like, that's that's really slow. If I'm like sixth in line at Starbucks, I know it's going to be 40 minutes before I'm out the other side. But I think people are gravitating to just staying in their cars to be safe which is again helping the bigger franchises and I know the franchisees are still local business owners uh there's a big debate about that too because you have real local brick and mortar one-off restaurants and a lot of them feel like it's not fair that franchisees are grouped in with them as being local businesses And in a way, they are. They also do have the support of local local and, you know, national ad campaigns. They've got kind of built-in business from loyalty, right? I went to, uh, actually, yesterday, we had to take my son back to university. So we stopped. Long trip. We packed some food, but we stopped at this little strip plaza thing. And uh, there was a Chipotle Mexican grill. And just a few doors down, there was another local, like, shawarma place. So I had to look them up. Shawarma place was rated way better than that particular Chipotle. But, of course, the Chipotle was really busy. It was lined up out the door. 
Um, I mean, you can only have, they only took four people inside or whatever it was. And not really any signs out front, whereas the shawarma place, you could tell they're trying. They've got this special and that and try this. and Because it was a, a one-off, a one-owner kind of thing. Whereas Chipotle will have that recognition and, you know, and, you know, I, well, exactly, actually, I can't remember the name of the shawarma place. And people driving by, they know what Chipotle is. And especially right now, this time that's anxious, I think people are are going for safety. And if they know this place, maybe they even feel like shawarma, but, you know, they know what Chipotle is all about. They kind of know they've been there maybe before. And they don't want to take a chance to go to the shawarma place and it's weird or whatever. The food sucks. So they go with what they know. And that's usually major brands and big chains. So that's going to be a real big struggle coming out of this. And uh, I really feel for a lot of the chefs, line cooks, servers, all of the the people that have been largely laid off. Huge amount of those people have been laid off with no place really to go in their industry. You know, we're going to have a lot of people in the workforce floating around that know how to cook really well. But maybe maybe that's not going to be their job. And that sucks. But I'm hopeful that out of all of this, um, maybe food prices can go up to where they kind of should be. I mean, major major chains and major brands have driven food prices too far down for too long. It's why... The industry underpays so much, why they've had to have tip culture. And I think a lot of that might, might be able to be washed out in this whole thing. And maybe people will be willing to pay a little more for food. I'm already noticing that when I eat out now, either prices are higher or portions are smaller. Um, and I think that's fine. I think portions should be smaller. Like, like we're giving people too much. That's reflected in the health crisis that we've been seeing for the past decade. Then if you want quality, you should be willing to pay for it and pay for the service that comes with it. Because whatever you do in your job, you want to be paid well for the quality of service you provide for your employer. So just pay that forward. So I'm hoping that comes out of this. And clearly people are cooking more at home. Um, I would be great if they would cook with their kids and teach the kids to cook so the next generation knows how to cook, knows how to fend for themselves just in case shit happens like a pandemic and you need to know how to cook sourdough bread or whatever craze, whatever craze that's going on. So to all the line cooks and chefs out there that are real passionate about their craft, don't hang up your tongs just yet. There might be a hiatus. You might have to do something else for a while, but I think, uh, you know, might be a year, might be two years, but I think you're going to come back stronger and paid better. Because my hope is that out of this, more than anything, as a big blanket statement, that people are taught to appreciate food more. It's really bizarre from what I see, from my perspective, my eyeballs, all the crap you watch on YouTube and the you know, the obesity crisis and the way that it's happened, how it's happened from the food industry, the way people treat food, being one of the very few extremely important things 
for not only their physical health, but their mental health. Um, we as a society treat it really disrespectfully, really poorly. So my number one hope, not to get, not to get, wow, I just got real serious there, but I always get serious about food and I, I don't know. It's I've been brought up with it. It's so ingrained in me, the importance of food. It's, you know, it's what we do with family and everything, whatever. Anyway, I've went on that rant before, but my, my grandiose hope is that people appreciate food more. Full stop. Anyway, that's really all I've got to say about that. I know this is a little shorter than usual, um, but man, I've got a ton of stuff to do today. Obviously, the eye doctor, the electrician. Uh, Jen and I are filming the end role for episode two, I think, of Big Flavor Light, which is going to be premiering uh, in two weeks, I think, on Rogers TV. So ton of stuff to do. I hate to bail on you, but uh, if you haven't listened to all my episodes, listen to them or find something else positive to do, go cook something. I don't know. But I'll be back uh, Wednesday with my conversation with Chris Knight, uh, like I said, CEO of Gusto TV. Very interesting dude, so you're going to want to check that one out in a couple of days. Happy New Year. Enjoy it. Pretend the pandemic doesn't exist or whatever gets you through. But we said that this year was going to be better. Even if it's not better towards us, let's slap a silly-ass smile on our face. Remember to be good to each other, and I'll talk to you soon.